This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good evening, you're with Lynn, and this hour we're looking back on the life and work of former Slango Mantri Bursa, Tansri Khalid Ibrahim. And then on Everyone's a Critic, Sharmila speaks with artist Eugene Fu about his debut solo exhibition, Saya Se Eko Dinosaur. As always, let us know what you think and call us, 7733-2900, WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. All this coming your way on the Evening Edition. It is 7.12 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn. And uh, up next, we're going to be looking at the life and work of former Slango MB Tansri Abdul Khalid Ibrahim, who sadly passed away yesterday evening at the age of 75. Uh, according to a post on his Facebook page, um, the late Tansri had actually been in the hospital since April due to an infection in the heart valve. So we are um, going to be looking back at some of the... some of. I think the things that he did that had the greatest impact and the impact that he had on the people he worked with um, and joining us for that is going to be uh, Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas. Um, and I mean, Trisha actually was a research officer for the late Dansri from 2009 to 2011 during his tenure as Salango MB. So before we get to that, um, do let us know your thoughts. Um, I, I suppose what memories or how do you remember uh, the late Tansri Khalid Ibrahim? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, in the meantime, Trisha, thank you so much for speaking with us. So uh, first off, we are sorry to hear about the late Tansri's passing. How are you feeling? Yeah, I think it's just very hard to believe that he's gone because the memory of him that we have, me and my colleagues have is of this person who was very, um, you know, very much bold and confident and and always striding forwards and having presence, I, th- I suppose is the right term for it. Um, but I think after he already had kidney failure a couple of years ago, uh, I've seen him a few times since and he was already rather weak and frail. Uh, so I think it didn't come as a shock entirely because I did follow um, his illness over the last few years. But I think just the the thought that someone I worked for really closely and I saw every day for a prolonged period of my time uh, at the Slangon government, that I think still comes as a shock. And just to think that he no longer is around, um, it's just it's just rather sudden at the moment. What were your memories of working with him? He was a very... I think we all know that he was an unorthodox Menteri Basar chief minister to begin with because usually when you're Menteri Basar appointed to be a Menteri Basar, that's a pretty high position and you would have to have like a, a position in the political party that you're nominated under for a period of time, a relatively senior position as well. Um, Tansri Khalid came in in March 2008, on the back of the Pakatan Rakyat win, when it was completely unexpected, um, Tansri Khalid, of course, was a treasurer, but he had not been in the party for a very long time. So I think it's already common knowledge that he was not a politician 
um, to begin with. So he came as a technocratic person. He had experience in many corporations, uh, in PNB, in Guthrie, uh, in management, right? So he viewed Selangor as his corporation and he was always thinking about how do you maximize, you know, the value that can be derived from the state for the people. I always remember that to be like front and center of his mind. We know, for example, that state governments, because of our highly centralized federation in Malaysia, states don't have the power to collect that many revenues. So our tax revenues are quite limited to certain things like land-related tax, you know, your, your property, your assessment tax and so on. But even then, he was constantly thinking, okay, how can I revamp this? How can I restructure things to make it better? Uh, looking, reviewing and going through all the old contracts that the predecessor uh, state government had done perhaps badly or inefficiently where a lot of cronies were given perhaps some contracts that did not come with the right value to the state itself. Uh, how can we turn that around? How can we turn things around to um, make things better? So uh, I think that was really the primary thing on his mind. And all of us as the officers, we felt that there was always a, a feeling of urgency, especially just remember that this was the first term of uh, Pakatan in the state government of Selangor as well as in Penang, right? There was always this sense of, okay, there's no time. There is so much to be done. Uh, we were working, you know, really hard morning and night, uh, weekends. I think it was a very, very intense period for Tan Sri Khalid, of course, and then, of course, um, into his second term, which was truncated. But for the rest of his officers, everyone in the Metri Basas office, it was a moment of exhilaration, but very intense. Uh, there were high moments. There were very low moments as well. There were incidents that took place. So I think there are a lot of memories from that time, which can be both you know, good and bad. But I can say for sure that it was very humbling working with him, working under him. Um, someone who had already so much experience under his hat. Uh, he did not really need the job, essentially. Uh, he did it because he felt that it was the right place at the right time. And it really was ideal at that moment. I think that's exactly what people wanted to see, right? Like a technocratic leader who could come in place and deliver things um, on, on solid ground uh, in a way that was not necessarily uh, politically polarizing at that point in time. And looking specifically at policies he championed as Lango MB, are there any in particular that stand out? So I think one thing that everybody seems to remember and I still see quoted a lot is his decision to provide free water for the first 20 cubic meters of water for every single household across the state. Um, I know that people criticized it, uh, economists criticized it because they felt that it was a blanket subsidy that was not targeted at the poor households. Um, and there's a lot of talk of blanket subsidies now, right? Uh, given the economic situation in Malaysia today, government may be able to implement targeted subsidies. At the state level, it was impossible to do that because we just didn't have the mechanism to be able to implement targeted subsidies. I think there are people who argue that that could have been done, but I think whatever it was, he just felt that, okay, this was a way to return the profits the revenues, the dividends of the state and give it back to people and say that, okay, look, you know, this is our way of thanking you. Um, that's one thing that stood out, I think, in many people's minds. 
the other thing I actually maybe less people know about is that the cleaning and the beautification of the Klang River actually was um, initiated by the Selangor state government. It was only later after Pamandu was formed under Datuk Sri Idris Jala that they took on the, the river cleaning project, which is now uh, what you see in Kuala Lumpur today, right? I think they've got the, 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 the River of Life project. But that's only a very small proportion of what was originally envisioned by the Selangor Matribasa, Tan Sri Khalid, because the Klang River spans... Um, you know, a small part in, in KL and the rest of the, the river actually lies in the whole of Selangor. So river cleaning, making use of the river for economic value as well, the way that you see in many other countries like Singapore, like in South Korea. So that's something that unfortunately never really happened because again, um, there was not enough state revenues to be able to inject into the project in the way he envisioned. Um, I think the other big thing would be the whole slew of packages that were meant to be what in Malay uh, was called Merayatkan Economy Selangor. Um, in English, it's not really translatable, but I guess the best translation that was used at the time was like the people's economy. So um, apart from the free water scheme, there were a whole range of other things. And uh, I think many of those were developed over time. They were expanded, they were increased. Uh, things like providing, um, you know, educational aid for students who get into university, for the elderly, uh, for babies who are born in Selangor, um, for, you know, people with disabilities, uh, women, um, you know, dialysis, tuition centers. So all of these were non-existent uh, prior to the Pakatan coming into power. And of course, the similar thing was replicated in Penang as well. So in a way, that was really nice because there was like state competition going on between the two states. Those are some of the key things that I I recall and that I think still continue to live on today, right? Like, uh, and I and and some some things had to be cut back on, but many of them still live on today. And uh, yeah, I I think that people should remember that. So as we discussed, he did champion a number of things that remain crucial in our political and public context. Uh, what are some of his policies that you would especially like to see revisited or carried forward? So the the river cleaning project is something that still stands out as something that has not been done. I think that still remains to be seen. Uh, somehow the federal and the state governments need to work out some solution to be able to invest into cleaning the river and perhaps even, yeah, look at how it can create better economic value for the state government. But this really requires um, this kind of bipartisan, multipartisan approach or the likes of what we've seen uh, in the anti-hopping law, for example. So that's one. Um, I think if I go back a little bit, although the water restructuring project has already been resolved, I think just to say that the amount that was paid to the, the companies, which I think was one thing that Tansri Khalid was uh, very opposed to at that time. It's just something that we need to remember because the, the, the price that was paid for the companies that there are four in total, um, three water treatment companies and one water distribution company, um, it took 10 years to realize, it took 10 years for it to be eventually uh, resolved. Um, there were a lot of conflict between the federal, the state and the companies themselves. But uh, one can track over time that the cost did balloon. Um, so it, it the cost just grew and grew. 
Uh, and eventually, while things were managed to be to be resolved because of this willing buyer, willing seller agreement, I think that's one thing that he would have probably not been very pleased about. Um, he always felt that there needs to be a reasonable price to be to be paid, uh, because whatever price that is paid actually comes out from ultimately taxpayers' pockets because whatever you pay comes from government funds and the higher you pay, the higher the tariff it is that needs to be imposed and the increment would be higher over a period of time in the future. Uh, so yeah, I think this is just something to note. Trisha, what final thoughts would you like to leave us with, whether it's about his legacy or the impact he had on you on a personal level? I think Tansri Khalid was at many times a misunderstood man. Um, as someone who worked closely with him, I know that he had a lot more to say and a lot more ideas about how to do things differently, which I think, you know, 80% of the time could not actually happen because of various factors, right? Whether it's the bureaucracy, whether it's because of constraints to the state government, um, whether it's because some of the data and transparency was not available because we were still uh, subject to the Official Secrets Act, for example, and we had to sign all these like declarations beforehand. So I think there were many things that could not have been executed. Um, and also, I think he was, especially in the beginning, not particularly gifted with the art of communication. And so it was difficult for him to get those messages across. Um, unless you work really closely with him, then you would know what his his mind was like, you know, trying to say. Um, and this improved over time, but I think that that was something that people, you know, should understand and should remember. I just want to also talk about the fact that it was under his watch that a lot of the transformations and the reforms took place, um, which the country actually has, it was unprecedented at the time. Uh, the Selangor State Government was the first in the country to legislate for a freedom of information enactment, the first state government in the country to impose um, asset declaration requirements for its exco members, which then the Penang State Government took forward and made it necessary for not just the exco members, but for all the aduns, all the state legislators themselves. Um, there was massive restructuring of the GLCs and eventually, I mean, even I have some criticism of this and the way it happened, but uh, I think there were just these innovative ways that were really attempted, which many of the other states are now trying to follow suit. So there are things that continue to, to make an impact uh, as far as thinking of how state economics can work better given, again, the highly centralized nature. Personally, I just want to say this uh, publicly, and I have said this already, that if not for the time that I worked in the Selangor Menteri Besar's office as his research officer, I would not have started to think and write about federalism. Um, I eventually, you know, published a book of op-eds on, on Selangor and Penang, which I had put together. Um, he was also the first to talk to me about how we can emulate 
Australia's Grants Commission, which is a neutral, non-partisan body consisting of politicians from both sides of the divide to make decisions on how fiscal matters are decided upon. Uh, to this day, that has never happened, but I continue to advocate for it. So in a way, I think his words like <laughs> continue to resonate. Um, and finally, yeah, again, if not for that particular period in time, um, I just, I wouldn't have done the research and the writing and I eventually pursued a PhD in the area of federalism, uh, specifically studying Selangor and Penang over that 10-year period, uh, which I just graduated from like two weeks ago. So it has a very real personal impact on my own life, my own professional life as well. And I just, you know, I can't really thank him per se, but it's thanking the entire experience that I had with my colleagues and the whole Pakatan experience at that time. So that has been the lasting impression on me. Trisha, thank you so much for sharing that with us. That was Trisha Yeo, CEO of IDEA, speaking to us about the late Tansri Khalid Ibrahim, um, especially in terms of the time that she spent with him as a research officer um, from tw- 2009 to 2011 during his tenure as Slango MB. And um, that was us basically looking back and the life and work of Tansri Abdul Khalid Ibrahim. If you'd like to share any thoughts, send them our way and keep it here, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my, BFM 89.9. The Business Station.